Dear Daryl Durham, it's me, Marcy King. It's still me, even though I go by a different name than I did all those summers ago working for you as an intern at the Kansas City Star. I upgraded from Marcy to Marcia in my 30s. Marcia was my grandmother's name on my father's side. Daryl, do you remember the last time I saw you? We were standing in a parking lot in Columbus, Ohio, saying goodbye. As I recall, I was driving west in a Caprice Classic so crammed with clothes and boxes I couldn't see out the windows. I had my cat Mookie with me. Poor cat. I drove east to west and west to east so many times, I can't exactly recall why I was on the road again and why I reached out to you on that trip. I just know I searched you out. It was an awkward impulse and an awkward reunion. They say you can never go home again. Well, you can't go to a parking lot in Columbus either. Can't appear like a hologram, out of place, out of time, out of sync with life circumstances. I wasn't the kid anymore, launching into the real world after college, and you weren't my mentor, giving me that firm push either. Maybe you were disappointed in me. We stood there in the hot sun, the heat from the pavement melting us like cookie dough in an oven. I rambled on about what I was doing with my life. It was a disorganized narrative, to say the least. Then I drove off in my junk heap of a car, and I just knew you weren't expecting that. You probably walked back to your office, worried and sad about me. I kept track of you for quite a few years. I guess so I'd know where to find you, if I wanted to. Maybe I just needed to know that you'd always be a mentor of sorts. And I still must have that notion, or why else would I be writing you this letter? But I won't actually track you down and mail it. I'm not quite as fearless as I once was. Experience makes us more careful, hesitant. And age insists that we become at least a little wiser. This letter's just a way for me to process some difficult feelings. Lately, I feel as if water's seeping in from cracks in the ground beneath my feet. It's starting to pool around me, and all I can do is watch it gather. It's the world situation and my situation. I lie awake at all hours, wondering what are things coming to. This morning I heard a scuffling noise outside my open window. It really scared me. I got out of bed to look for an intruder. But it was a mother deer and her two tiny fawns on the gravel path. They stopped, froze, ears up, the babies mimicking the mother exactly. Perhaps she sensed me watching out the window. In the heavy gray of early, early dawn, I could see the solar lights near the greenhouse, still bright with saved-up sunlight. It was too early to get up, but I could not go back to the twisted sheets of my bed. I picked up the pillows from the floor, stacked them, and walked away from another bad night. I poured coffee and reached for my cell phone, thinking now Breslin's Irish voice was what I needed. His wake-up episodes have breathing exercises. I joined in, imagining people all over the world breathing. His podcast must be popular, because there's a Lysol ad at the end of each episode, which really spoils the mood, but I bet he finds a way to laugh about even that. He talked this week about how we can shift our thinking. It's the most powerful thing we can always choose to do. I sat on the floor in my nightgown, propped up against the sofa, and I let my mind go wherever. And I felt that tight knot in my stomach release a little. And I did some more breathing, in and out, in and out. And I just allowed for a few moments the calmer me who was always available to come forward and be me. Still breathing in and out, I realized that my mind had wandered. And weirdly, I was thinking back on my days as an intern at the Kansas City Star. I was back in the special sections department with all the far side cartoons covering the walls and the plastic pink flamingos propped up around the room. The creative chaos of that space where I once so happily belonged made me smile. My favorite job I ever had lasted for three summers during college, a job that set a standard for the joy of work 
I never again quite matched. That job started me off on the right foot, but I somehow lost my way. After I graduated, I left the Midwest for a big city on the East Coast, imagining I was going to need a grander stage for my life's performance. And I can't say that I was wrong. I can only say that something was left behind in Kansas City at that first job. It was a summer internship that was created for me by a muckety-muck at the paper who ran in the same society circles as my sister and her husband. I was just a college kid riding along in a sidecar attached to my big sister's sleek and shiny life. But wow, there I was working at the Kansas City Star in the special sections department with a wonderful group of people of a very different sort. And I thrived in that place where I didn't have to constantly present myself in a perfectly acceptable way. I had to prove myself by doing good work and being right-sized in my attitude. I was an intern, not a real employee. I understood and appreciated my place in the order of things. I liked being on the bottom rung, working my way alongside senior writers, trying my best to contribute. That team cleared a space for me at the table, gave me a coffee mug with the newspaper's logo. Those were the most contented, dare I say happy, worker bees I've ever known. They were serious about meeting high standards and deadlines. The Kansas City Star and Times had a good reputation. Hemingway had worked there. They were having so much fun doing really good work. And I know now, after 30 years in various careers, that was the magic of that place, of that team. A particular magic that wouldn't have been possible without you leading that department. The way you were the boss. With your door always open, you watched us much like a mother fox watches her kits. Your energy wasn't typical of men in leadership positions at that time, of men or women in leadership even now. Your style was calm and understated. Your praise was genuine. Your feedback was encouraging, but you edited with a scalpel. Your subtle wit, like Bob Newhart, set a standard for humor amongst us. You made each one of us feel like we belonged. We belonged together. There were no favorites. And this is how we talked about you. He's brilliant. An incredible writer. A dream editor. I remember one of the women in the department, Patty, telling me, he can teach you so much, so pay attention. Towards the end of my time there, that final summer stint, you went to bat for us when it was getting harder to please the bosses' bosses. The Kansas City Star was morphing as a business. The national mega-media companies were swallowing up local newspapers in cities and towns across the U.S. I remember hearing a lot about Knight Ritter taking over, and in my mind there was a dark figure on horseback running roughshod over small villages, the hooded figure with a scythe. That last summer, you didn't seem quite as comfortable at work. Whispers were that you were leaving. Every one of us in the section knew the end of the good days was coming. Maybe this is why you didn't encourage me to stay on. You thought I should spread my wings beyond Kansas City, so you helped me line up interviews in New York. And you were right, and I left. And then I heard you left, to the Columbus Dispatch. And that's where I found you all those years later, how we ended up in that hot parking lot. That final summer at the paper, the day I first showed up, the team had fashioned a huge silver star out of tin foil and set it on my desk my very own desk. I was never so happy coming home anywhere. My mother said to me when I told her about it, that's wonderful, but they're ruining you for the real work world. It just won't be like that always. She was right. I never worked at a newspaper again. I thought I wanted to work at a fashion magazine in New York, and you helped get me interviews at W and Mademoiselle. The interview process was brutal. There was a meanness to the industry in New York that I wasn't ready for making it big time in the Big Apple. I was going to have to act like those people to make it there. Maybe I just didn't have the confidence. 
Not too long ago, I found a photo that my mother took of me in New York the day I was heading off to my first magazine interview. Boy, did I remember that interview outfit differently. I thought it was so pulled together. And there I am in the photo wearing a strange silk blouse and sweater combination. An unfortunate choice for an interview with high fashion editors. It embarrasses me even now to imagine what those magazine editors must have thought. They were just going through the motions of interviewing me. It was a waste of their time. I remember feeling that. I ended up in Washington, D.C. selling real estate before I moved to Chicago and did odd jobs, mostly restaurant work, while I went to film school, which I didn't finish. And then eventually I moved to Colorado to be near my brother in Boulder. I lived in his attic and worked at a Kinko's, and so on and so on. Eventually I would spend six months in China, which would lead to work in recruiting international students in higher education. And even farther down the long and winding road of my life, I got hired in healthcare, and that was the start of something that has lasted longer than I meant it to. Fast forward 12 years of teaching, and along comes a pandemic. Faculty are being furloughed, especially non-clinical faculty. I don't have any medical training, so I'm very non-clinical. Don't see patients. I can't help with the COVID-19 crisis. So now I'm waiting for what may come next, being unemployed with no benefits. I'm not alone. How many millions are out of work? I can still honestly say I've been lucky, and I have no regrets, except maybe this. I do wish I had found a mentor like you again, and a team of such bright, creative, crazy, fun people somewhere along the way, that I had done work I was passionate about with others who shared my passion. Those three summers, every day, I was just so happy to get to go to work. A lot of people never have that experience, which is a human tragedy, I think. So maybe this pandemic is going to turn out to be an opportunity. It will force me to think long and hard about the life I still could live. And the good thing about remembering what it was like having a mentor like Daryl Durham and the best job ever is knowing it's possible. Nice work if you can get it, as the song goes. If I make room in my life for something new, so many things are still possible.